banter. Is that what's on the script? Uh, sorry. Intro banter. Okay. Let's get it. Welcome to the Video Reformation Podcast. I'm Ben Oliver. I'm Justin Plant. We're the co-founders of Storyboard Media and your guides to practicing effective video for business. We're like the Jiminy Cricket to your Pinocchio. Hmm. In our last episode, if you watched or listened, you'll know that we talked about Vidyard's uh, benchmarks report for 2021. Well, uh, later that week, Wistia released their 2021 state of video report. So uh, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, one thing you missed from the title of Vidyard's was that it's the video in business benchmark. True. I don't know that this is specifically business video and business. I mean, I believe it's a lot of businesses using it, but I think there's a lot more of a, a lot more of a B2C application in, in Wistia's, uh, sampling. Still business. Yeah. But I, I think, I think like uh, just so the comparison is, uh, people understand the comparison. Uh, how did Wistia got this from their, just from their upload. So there was no, um, there's no survey done by demand metric or any other party. Right. But the Vidyard report, um, part of their analysis was looking at 760,000 videos uploaded. Mm -hmm. um, I believe Wistia shows that they had over 15 million videos yeah. uploaded last year to yep. their platform. Um, so we are talking about very different sample sizes. Um, so, yeah, I... Um, I think Wistia has more of a B2C application. I don't know that it specifies in here anywhere that it is not necessarily business, though. Um, that being said, we'll be looking into Wistia's 2021 State of Video report today. Um, and so I think uh, if you haven't listened to episode 53 about Vidyard, uh, that would pair really well with this episode. Uh, before jumping in, though, we would like to thank our new sponsor for this episode. Justin, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor this week is Shebang Sauce. Shebang Sauce. All right. Well, stick around for their full spot later in the episode. Um, okay. Let's jump in then. The Wistia 2021 State of Video Report. Um, I believe I started with Vidyard, so why don't you start Wistia? Sure. I feel like uh, just kind of looking at this report overall is a reflection of the platform itself. It's, it's, I don't know that it's as a robust of a, of a report, but there's certainly some, some interesting and helpful information for our, for our listeners. Um, so let's see. Um, first comment. Cut may some of may this I out. comment on that? <laughs> What's that? What you just said. Sure comment all over the place. I think I think if you look at the comparison of 15 million videos to 760,000 videos, the Wistia report is by definition more robust. What I found in going through it is they don't necessarily present their statistics in as much of an actionable way as Vidyard set up theirs. Mm -hmm. um, when we get into like yeah. um, calls to action and those kinds of interactivity pieces, uh, their data was more focused on how those are distributed, not necessarily about the efficacy of each. Mm -hmm. um, uh, also with, with engagement, uh, I think we'll look at Vidyard gave us a, you know, zero to 100% of the video in 10% increments 
where that engagement was, whereas Wistia is really only positioning it as average engagement based on time of video. Mm -hmm. So I, I think they just look at it, it just takes an extra step of looking at a lot of the numbers in, in this Wistia report to get some of the more direct insights that I yeah. felt like you got yeah. from the Vidyard report. Uh, and then one other thing, uh, Wistia does have a user-generated component to their platform. Right. Uh, however, they did not separate that in this report. So we have to just consider that uh, both types of video are in here. So the, the they have, their platform is called Soapbox, which is uh, a really great platform as well. Um, but it's all kind of lumped into one. Yep. Uh, they also, I think in 2020, but possibly as early as 2019, um, started positioning themselves as a podcast hosting platform. Yeah. Um, and they I have definitely saw that influence the length of videos uh, that were being uploaded to their platform. And so maybe we'll get to mm. that yeah, uh, definitely. in one of these sections. That's a good point. Uh, and that's a really cool part of their platform that they it just is. introduced. And it it's marketed as a pla uh, podcast platform, but it's it really serves as like what Vidyard has as hubs. Yep. Um, so anyhow, um, one of the first things that I noticed here, uh, the the pandemic uh, last year, the the COVID nineteen the what situation we were all dealing with. What was that? Um, it. Just not going to take had, the bait there, huh? It had a huge, a seemingly huge effect on video, and I don't, I do, I don't necessarily know all of why. I can make some some guesses, but the weirdest thing is that both uh, both on Vidyard and in Wistia, there was a huge jump in videos uploaded or created in April. Yes. And it went, it spiked up. That was the highest point of all year in think, April. And I, then it kind of dropped and then came back up uh, towards the end of the year, but it never reached. Wistia had their high, over 100,000 individual uploads on April 22nd, I think they said. Yeah. What is it about? Was it about April, do you think? I think that's the point where we knew that this wasn't going to be it three wasn't two or weeks. four <laughs> yeah. weeks of uh, staying at home. Um. Because I know in Durham, that was like March 23rd or 25th or something that that went into effect. So April 22nd would be, you know, four weeks after, mm -hmm. you know, and we weren't one of the earlier lockdowns. Um, so I don't know. It's probably just that part where uh, where everybody realized that they needed to be figuring out how to solve this. Yeah. Or solve communication. Certainly part of... The dip following April would be the fact that production slowed down mm -hmm. dramatically. And so, you know, it takes, depending on the type of video, it could take a month or two months for editing. And so, yeah, they probably shot, videos were shot in February, March, or whatever, and, and then finished and uploaded in April. But I think a huge part of it has to be the user-generated type of content, the, the soapbox-driven content. Or is it possible that... COVID-19 was actually spread through online video. Mm. I don't want to put that out there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right, you go. Oh, that was yours. That okay. was, yeah. I was um, just kind of going in order here. Yeah, that. I mean, that's, pr that's pretty close to my first note. My first note, uh, you know, chronologically through this document was... Um, since 2016, the amount of videos uploaded has increased by 263%, which, you know, 
if you just think about that over five years, the I mean, we're still talking millions. We're talking, you know, three point, we're talking 4.7 million videos in 2016 to 17 million videos uh, in 2020. Um, I do think if you look at, you know, page seven on here, there's a bit of an asterisk because it does seem to be a pretty linear progression. Um, well, maybe a little bit more, but plus 18% year over year change, plus 29%, plus 32%. And then boom, 2020 was a plus 81%. Um, I think like we were talking about with the video report, I think we're going to see some of these numbers come back a little bit this year. Um, as people are able to travel to customers and, yeah, and things like that, potentially. More. But I do think there was a, a there's a bit of a step function to it where there's a new minimum threshold that we're never going to go back below. Yeah. That is probably not along that pre-COVID linear. The rate of adoption uh, yeah. for for creating you know user generated content went up so much this year, um, and I, I, yeah, I think it may it may dip a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I, I saw the, you know, the same thing that that's still 18, 29, 32% year over year growth of, of, of business, of videos being uploaded to the platform is still just, I mean, super significant, even, even, even were it not for the 81% growth, um, last year, that's, that's still just such a key marker of adoption mm -hmm. uh, on page 11 on that y-axis I think they misrepresented those numbers by a factor of a hundred <laughs> is that accurate There's 4.5 million. It says videos in millions. Oh uh, yeah, I okay. mean it's it's right there because when you look yeah. at, um, if you look in the chart below at 2020, zero to one minute, mm -hmm. four million eight hundred sixteen thousand. So that's not really a uh, and that yeah. So it's not 450 million. It should be you know 4.5 4. 5 million. Got it. That's not an insight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just calling out a typo. Um, um, my now, next now me. <laughs> <laughs> my next one is on page twelve. Did you want to get to anything before page twelve? I do not have anything before oh, yeah. page twelve, but uh, yeah, good catch on the uh, old typo there. <laughs> so uh, a key takeaway from from some of these uh, these upload statistics here: um, longer videos are gaining traction. I'll just read this little part here. Though video volume is up across the board, long-form videos stole the spotlight from a growth perspective. The number of videos in the 30 to 60-minute category grew 140% compared to 2019 and 446% compared to 2016. This suggests that longer-form content is becoming a more popular option for businesses as more companies embrace video series and other long-form video content. Obviously, you mentioned one of them, podcasts uh, are typically in the 30 to 60-minute range. Uh, so I think 30 to 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who's hosting. Um, and yeah, I think, I think another part of that is the educational content. You know, we had that, that episode with Tyler Lassard. It was all about going from like whatever, you know, 
promotional content to truly educational content. Mm -hmm. And when people are further down in that buying process, they want to know more and, and really dig in. So they might watch a 45 minute uh, webinar right. where, where some of those details are really just, uh, discussed. And so, um, I don't think there's a lot of 40 minute promotional content stuff. Uh, but so it's gotta be educational, uh, any other any other things that kind of fit into that category? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like if you're doing something educational, it still makes sense to break it up into you yeah. know smaller pieces. I do think um, I stayed away from this section because I feel like they don't explicitly address the fact that they did start, as previously mentioned, um, advertising themselves as a podcast platform. That is going to fundamentally skew these results. They, they make no mention here of the fact that, in fact, they draw attention to the huge increase from 2019 to 2020 um, of 30 to 60 minute content without mentioning the fact that that's when they started pushing themselves as a podcast platform. And that is going to fundamentally affect, right? They don't need, I don't need them to adjust the numbers down for that. But the fact that they didn't mention yeah. it just, just makes me question the numbers a little bit. I don't want I don't someone like that feeling. I don't want someone walking away from this saying, oh, we need 45 minute videos. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and I think if, if you look at, I, because you could take also the fact that webinars, uh, I don't have specific numbers, but webinars, my guess, increased by 200% last yeah. year across the board, across and, industry, across companies. live events that were streaming have yes. been, are then being published after the fact. Exactly. So so those are all things that, that feel like they're a part of why that number is so much higher. But just because I know that they started marketing as a podcast platform and without them mentioning it makes me just have to like, it makes me want to apply a, another level of scrutiny to the numbers. And now that I know that they have a typo on a Y axis somewhere, <laughs> that just throws everything out. I'm sorry if it looks like I'm sneering. I got a weird little like twitch in my nose. <laughs> so I kind of crinkle my nose. Did you notice that? I, what I have noticed over 10 years of knowing you is that crinkling of your nose is your love language. Ah, yes. So it's really, it's <laughs> really weird in allergy season mm -hmm. with you. Yeah, you get a little kind of hot and bothered a lot. I feel a little violated. Yeah. <laughs> it, it verges on her Um I think what, oh, were you going to say something? You know, I was just going to come back to like, I feel bad saying that I have to, uh, that I have to question it, but I just stayed away from that section just because of the, the podcast. And so, yes, I, I think there just needs to be an acknowledgement that yes, there was more long form content created last year out of necessity, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily, yeah. like you were saying, I wouldn't want somebody to come in and look at this and say, Oh, well, everybody else is doing a ton of long form content. We need to be doing 30 minute plus pieces of content. Mm -hmm. That is not what this says. Yeah. Another, uh, another potential factor in that statistic is the uh, inclusion or maybe just the adoption of using chapters at, at that feature that you can put in, in Wistia videos, you can create chapters. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to break something up into 10 different videos, That's true. you can make chapters all in one video and people can jump around specifically to mm -hmm. a spot. You've seen that on YouTube recently too. Even, uh, even as a search result, YouTube will, will show you in the search result page, uh, will show you the thumbnail and it'll show you broken up by section 
and it's only on some videos, but it'll show you like, here's where he gets to, if it's like a how-to garden or whatever. Here's where he's talking about carrots. Here's where he's talking about building the garden. Here's where he's talking about shovels. My next note comes on page 15. Um, this is a chart looking at engage. So this is just 2020's videos. Mm -hmm. um, everything else has been pretty much a look at 2016 through 2020 year over year comparison. This is 2020 engagement rate over playing time. And what I wanted to do was think out loud about how this actually compares to how Vidyard presented the information. So what I recall about Vidyard presenting this is that they had four, I don't remember the exact time breakdowns in terms of length of video mm -hmm. necessarily, but um, if they match up zero to 60 seconds, 60 seconds to 180 seconds, 180 seconds to 300 seconds, right? Uh, under a minute, one to three minutes, three to five minutes. What they gave us was what percentage of viewers were watching at 10% of the time of yeah. the video increments. Yeah. What Wistia is giving us here appears to be the average engagement over the course of the whole video. Mm -hmm. My note specifically was, how does this compare to Vidyard? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we have enough sense of the methodology of both of these yeah. to be able to tell definitively. Agreed. So I can probably move to my next note on the next page, which is that when we looked at the average engagement rate over the years, we found that the change from year to year was not significant. And I find that actually kind of surprising and interesting because from 2016 to 2020, anecdotally, I would feel like in 2016, we were recommending that videos be two minutes or less. Mm -hmm. And then by like 2018, we were saying 90 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for the last year or so, we've been saying 60 seconds or less. So I feel like anecdotally, we've kind of been saying that attention spans are short are, are getting shorter. And yet what this is showing is there's not a significant change in engagement indicating that potentially attention spans aren't getting shorter. It could also theoretically mean that content video, the video creators are getting better at keeping people's attention. I suppose that's a part of the equation. Yeah. It could be adjusting also. I think that is a factor. Um, it, it, it right below that paragraph that you just read, despite narratives on shrinking attention spans, it seems that people will stick around uh, and watch your content if it's compelling. Um, I, yeah, people will watch four episodes of Ozark in a row. Mm -hmm. They have long attention spans. Right. You just need to do your job as a marketer yeah. or a salesperson or whatever it is. You need to do your job better. And so if you're seeing attention spans drop off, it's not the, the audience's fault. It's yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I threw a lot of confusion into this. Now you go. Well, there, I mean, I, I'm not sure that this is as clear or, or specific, I guess, as a lot of what we saw from the What's Vidyard interesting report. is I find myself wanting to go back to the Vidyard report and see if I give it the same... Scrutiny? <laughs> I was going to say stink eye, but <laughs> I, I feel like for some reason... And, and, and I... Uh, I mean, you know, this goes into all of it. This is kind of meta. Like, there's a bias, right? Mm -hmm. Because last week, well, two weeks ago for our listeners, but last week we looked at one report 
And then a week later, we looked at a different port. Their methodologies were different. Mm-hmm. Am I biased by just what Vidyard did? If yeah. Wistia had come out with theirs first, would I be feeling the same <clears throat> way about how Vidyard presented their numbers? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't tell, but what's weird is I, I didn't find myself questioning yeah. Vidyard's methodologies. And there are just some things in here that I just feel like they're coming at it from either a more convoluted angle or not compensating for, I, I don't know. There's just something about it that, again, could be bias. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to devalue the statistics in this report. Um, it just feels like they're a little stick icky. Yeah. I found that they basically take four pages to say the same thing that they said on page one. That's true. Um, I'm in the same area, a key takeaway, map engagement benchmarks to video length and goal. And so this is one of those like. I've got exactly the same sentence highlighted that you do. Yeah. So, So let's get the whole sentence. In general, be sure to put your best foot forward by making your content discoverable on your website and using a snappy intro to keep folks engaged longer. I heard a little emphasis in your voice on using a snappy intro. And the part of that sentence that I have highlighted is using a snappy intro. So yeah. what's your note on that sentence? Uh, people aren't going to stick around for 45 minutes just because of a snappy intro. Yes. That's not, I mean, that's not a real actionable insight. I mean, sure, make a snappy intro, but don't use that as a, as a way to uh, secure engagement for 50% of your audience. The snappy intro thing is a holdover from posting video on social media, mm-hmm. right? It, it's Fart to start. <laughs> yes. It's that, it's that way to get people to turn on the audio, mm-hmm. to stick around for the three seconds without, you know, scrolling to the next thing so that it counts as a full view. Mm-hmm. That is n- one that is not what this is saying. Mm-hmm. Their data are not saying anything. My note specifically is challenge the snappy intro narrative. A snappy intro gets full counted views on social, but it doesn't necessarily get anyone closer to the end of your video. You have to, if you want to extrapolate that using a snappy intro recommendation, it's use a snappy intro every 60 seconds. Like you've got to keep the pace going. You've got to keep the information coming. You've got to keep the entertainment at 80% and the education at 20%, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to keep those things going throughout the video because what they're showing us is is half the people are going to watch the whole thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not a question of getting somebody to watch it in the first place. It's getting somebody to stay there. Stick around. You're not going to see a 40-minute a video on LinkedIn, right? Right. It's kind of part of, part of what you were saying. like Unless it's a LinkedIn learning course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if someone is deep in the buying process and doing research on your site, um, they might stick around, especially uh, if you make that web page helpful, right? So a couple of things you can do to try to nudge them towards finishing that video is don't put shit in their face. Don't throw a little bot up right? Mm-hmm. That says, Hey, what are you here? What are you doing? Can uh, I help you? Yeah. Or pop-ups Bing. or, Bing. or distracting ads or anything like that. Right. What might you do on a web page to, to help secure that engagement rate, a higher engagement rate? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan. If it's, if it's on your own site, 
I'm a big fan of the like pop up shadow box type players, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's whether it's like a featured image in a blog post and there's like you know three squares per row or whatever, you click that play button and it comes out to eighty percent of the full width of your window, and then it you know grays out or blacks out mm-hmm. everything. You do have to go through and turn off those HubSpot pop-ups mm-hmm. and those chatbots and things like that. But I just love the aesthetic and the focusing factor of those pop-up players mm-hmm. because, because they do take away a lot of those distractions. It's like there's so many writing apps that are designed to just limit access to other apps. Yep. They turn your whole screen turn white. Your internet off. And and it turns your internet off and all you have is a white screen that you can type on. Yeah. You can't format it. You can't you can't bold it. You can like you can just type. And it's to take away all of those other things that could draw your eye or your ear mm-hmm. away. Um I don't know. That's for me. What do you what do you think? I don't know. I'm just kind of just postulating. I think that's the right word. Um could you do put like certain checkpoints in the video, right? Because you you have certain features where you can add a uh, you can add you can stop the video and put whatever you want in there because you can create that with HTML. Mm-hmm. So what if you stopped and did like a little quiz or something like a couple times throughout and give people time yep. you know an opportunity to engage and you know th- reflect on what they learned and then look forward to learning and they might even stick around or pay more attention throughout the the next section because they might think that there's a quiz coming or mm-hmm. and a quiz is a horrible like nobody no i know uh, yeah. but something to engage them and and give them a little bit of that like dopamine hit. and then you know at the end uh you put an email uh, form in there and you can send them their score or something i think that's such and and i think i've got a note or two in here in the interactive part of this report but i've been fascinated recently last few months about just that whole reciprocity angle of gating content and giving something to get something and earning different levels of prospects information along Mm -hmm, the way mm -hmm. because we've all seen and we've got clients who do this um, we've all seen those pages where you get teased with the answer to something but then you have to go in and fill out that, you know, 400 pixel long mm-hmm. uh, column on the right. That's a standard Marketo form. Yep. That's first name, last name, company, job title, um, company size, company revenue, size, or all that position. stuff. And that's a lot of information to ask someone to give up all at once in one go to get something that they haven't even seen a tease of. They just see a little paragraph next to the form. There's a lot that goes into, I wish I knew more about it, but I guess that's why. Like the psychology. There's so much that goes into psychology of when to ask for what Mm -hmm. and what to give them before or as a result of. And we talked about that a little bit with, with the Vidyard report too, about, you know, connecting that engagement to where you put the calls to action, right? So making sure that um, if 58 or 50% of people only make it to the end of a one-minute video you're and, and you're only putting an email form at the end of your video, mm-hmm. you're only going to even show that 
to 50 or 58% of the people who, who watch the video. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the rate is after that, I mean, the conversion rate is just so much likelier to be higher, but why not ask for their email at the 25% point, ask for mm -hmm. their, you know, name or company name mm -hmm. at the 50% point, just like a quiz kind of thing. You could totally do the same thing with giving them some, you know, valuable content. Yeah. And then after you've given it to them, asking them for something more in exchange. And making it relevant to the content they're watching too. Like of the three solutions we showed you, which one yes. makes the most sense for your company? Click this box. Yep. Uh, speaking of conversions and calls to actions and whatnot, that's coming up. Oh, <laughs> were you putting one up there? No, no I, I, oh. I, I, am I hearing the, it's time for a sponsor? I think so. Spots, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bell going off? Yeah. So we'll actually put a link in the video here where you can buy some shebang sauce. Probably not. <laughs> if you're... Are you ready to go? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. If you're anything like me, and you and I are practically twins. Um, sure. In all aspects of life. Uh, but I'm talking to the audience. If you're... If you're anything like me, you're probably sick of the dozen or more half-empty bottles of sauces in your fridge and your spice cabinet. I mean, there are at least two nearly empty bottles of soy sauce in our office pantry right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's not leave out all of the restaurant packets of ketchup and duck sauce laying around after copious amounts of takeout and delivery throughout this past year. Well, world-famous saucier Kirk Lazarus Ooh. felt the same pain and torment that we're all reflecting on right now, except he did something about it. Chef Lazarus spent, you know, the restaurants were shut down, basically. I've heard. Uh, he spent nearly all of lockdown perfecting this sauce that he calls shebang sauce. Uh, although the proportions are proprietary, you'll be glad to know that at least 30 to 40 of your favorite sauces have been combined to create this one sauce to rule them all. Uh, it includes some of your favorites, of course, you know, ketchup, mustard, uh, the spicy and, and the honey, uh, ranch, soy sauce, uh, some unique layering of Thousand Island, hot sauce, mayonnaise, barbecue, hollandaise, pesto, tartar, tzatziki, horseradish, cocktail, alfredo, mornay, teriyaki, at least three different types of chutney, uh, mole, lingonberry, hmm. uh, chimichurri, aioli, agrodolce, ponzu, bolognese, bernays, Peanut, bechamel, um, yeah, Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Uh, carbonara, hoisin. It's like a tour of the world in one bite. Um, you know, it, it, it. We love it partially because it comes in like the, the little toothpaste squeeze thing, mm -hmm. um, which is nice. But uh, as of today, they they've had such a high demand. Uh, they're going direct to consumer and just selling it straight by the three thousand ounce barrel. Sure. Um, there's some legal here. There may be a risk associated with consuming this product, as is the case with other raw protein products. If you suffer from chronic illness of the liver, stomach, or blood, or having any other immune disorders, you should not consume this product or do so at a temperature higher than 100 degrees Celsius. Do not consume raw or cooked. This product is not safe for children, adults, or animals. If you suffer from any allergies whatsoever, you should not consume this product. This product is recommended for restaurant use only, unless you're in Wisconsin, Arkansas, and Hawaii. And this product is not approved by the FDA nor will be. I think, you know, we, we, we've been users, uh, we've been beta testers. Yeah. And uh, we went on a tour of the factory. And one of the things that, that's interesting, you'd think that there would be this like 
spinning mechanism with all kinds of like nozzles and whatever, and mm-hmm. it just gets sprayed into these barrels. But what's interesting is that yep. that because it's so artisanal, they actually put each sauce in layer by layer. Mm-hmm. So in, until it actually ends up on the truck, you can actually see each layer. It's beautiful. Stays l- like that old uh, you know density chemistry trick in high yeah. school. Yep. Or it just actually stays in all of the layers. It's and then when when you when you consume it, it's like hosting the UN mm-hmm. in your stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's quite an experience. It's uh, something, and it keeps your fridge real neat and tidy. Yeah, you don't have definitely refrigerate after opening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if that was in there, but no, something crawled out of that de- bottle. Definitely refrigerate after opening. All right, well, okay, I have. A note on 24. So on 24, we're looking at video conversion rate. Mm -hmm. And in this, you know, when it comes to demand generation, interactive elements, so that's a call to action, a turnstile, an email uh, capture form, those various types. Um, Interactive elements placed at the end of videos had the highest conversion rate over the past five years averaging 8.7% conversion rate, which I still think is interesting because of what we were just talking about before the sponsor spot of not waiting until, or perhaps one way to look at it is if the conversions at the end are getting a high conversion rate, why not put them earlier on? You know, if those interactive elements, why not put them earlier on? But I do think what's interesting here is the average conversion rate So this is across anywhere in the video, across any type of interactive element. The average conversion rate for video has also increased over this time, five years, from 8.6% in 2016 to 12.7% in 2020. Mm -hmm. That's a 50% increase. Mm -hmm. So two things. One, that's a 50% increase in conversion rate on video Mm -hmm. from 2016 to 2020. That's, That's a 50% increase. And... That's a 12.7% conversion rate. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of Googling okay. before we started recording today, and I find an old report from Aberdeen that gives me as a benchmark, and so I am open to, to being challenged by this uh, on this by some of our uh, listeners. I find that on average, content across the board has an average conversion rate of 2.9%. Mm-hmm. So if which still feels kind of high, I mean that, sure, right? A yeah. 2.9% conversion rate for content regardless of medium. That means that video or at least the 15 plus million videos on Wistia's platform have with a 12.7% conversion rate a five to six times higher conversion rate than all other yeah. media and content marketing. I think, I mean, if if these numbers are accurate. And yeah, if you can compare them equally. And, and if marketers are expecting a 2.9% conversion rate on their content, if you're not using video, we don't have this discussion very often. Mm-hmm. We, we find ourselves past the point of trying com- to convince yeah. people to use video. But if you're not, you know, putting it on a platform where you can capture some kind of conversion, even, 
you can expect a 12% conversion rate mm-hmm. on video, which is just one of those. At least on Wistia. At least on Wistia. Um, really interesting. And I'll have to go back to the Vidyard report and see if they had uh, anything similar. I don't recall that they did, but. Uh, this would be an interesting test to take the same, do an A-B test. Is right? it statistics and is it based on weather? <laughs> Neither. Uh, one of them. You'll find out which. Um, so A-B test, so you have a landing page. Half the people get this video, half the people get the other video. Uh, video A has a call to action in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Video B has a call to action at the end. Um, forget the conversion rate. Let's just say whatever happens, happens, right? You're, you're probably more likely to get more in the beginning than you are at the end, just given the fact that people are seeing that. Uh, more people are seeing that, that first. Yeah, more people are going to see the first one, yep. yes. Do you think that the video B has more qualified leads as compared to video A because they actually watch the entire video? Is this a um, true-false, multiple-choice, or essay question? It's an essay. (laughs) Uh, You shouldn't have told me that. (laughs) Um, So by beginning, do you mean you click play, and before anything actually plays in the video, you're asked to put— Let's just say it's in the first 10%. Okay. Um, So one, I think that's key, right? I think with that reciprocity thing, I think you're more likely to get somebody to fill out something 10% of the way in than before they've watched anything. Because at least they'll get a sense of— Oh, this mm-hmm. is something that relates expecting. to me. I think if somebody makes it to the end and and fills out, and if you're asking for the same information in both forms, I think the person who fills it out at the end of the video is probably a better qualified prospect than someone who fills it out at the end for two reasons. One, the obvious, they paid attention to the whole thing. So it was relevant to them and they made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think that is a big indicator um, without going in and looking at, you know, where the people who filled in at the beginning dropped off. You know that if it's just available at the end, Mm -hmm. they got to the end. So that's a good indicator. And then the other end indicator to me is that psychological reciprocity angle of they've already gotten everything. So why do they need to give you anything Mm -hmm. at this point? Um, I'm willing to give up. And I've gotten more and more willing to give up information earlier on to get certain, you know, downloads from marketers. But if I've got it, um, if I've gotten everything that I'm going to get out of it, I think I'm less likely to give up that information at the end. So, well, unless the call to action is tell us your email and we'll send you this or sure, whatever. Sure. Um, but, but even if you took out the psychological part of it, uh, I do think that that the indicator that they watched 100% of the video, they got to the end, or even 75% of the video, mm-hmm. if you wanted to you know, put an annotation there that didn't up, interrupt the video or something like that. Um, I think the mere fact that they got to that point, they got past that average engagement point, mm-hmm. is a good indicator that they're probably more interested. I'd like to run that test sometime. Yeah. At the very least, you would, I don't know that you could do 0% to 100%. Like, I don't know that that you could just say, like, is qualified, isn't qualified. Oh, sure. But from a scoring standpoint, you know, I'd give them 
you know, five times as many points for giving it to me at the end than giving it to me at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. Is that what you were thinking? Uh, yeah. I just was curious, another person's thoughts. And you were sitting right here. Yeah. What do you think, audience? What's that? <clears throat> okay. I have... I got something on 26. Yeah, I, my only thing there was, what happened in 2019? <laughs> so here they're showing uh, years on the x-axis, so 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. And then on the y-axis, they've got calls to action versus email collection forms versus annotation mm-hmm. links. And then they're showing the conversion rate with each of those. Mm-hmm. 2019 sucked. For conversions, comparatively. It did. I don't have any hypothesis as to why that is. Well, it was a more innocent time. We thought that nothing could stop us. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. the thing about statistic is statistics Anomaly. is sometimes they surprise you. What did you have? I had just looking, you know, instead of the year-to-year, it's worth calling out the conversion rate over the five years, the conversion rate by type of media. Mm-hmm. So you, Wistia gives you basically three different options of interactive elements. So you've got a call to action. Which stops the video. Stops the video, pops up, and says... Could be anything, really, because it could be HTML, yep, a form, or, or... You know, click this link to download the ebook mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. You've got the email collection form, which is... As simple as enter your email here yep. to sign up for our newsletter yeah. or watch the rest of the video or whatever. You put an email address, you hit submit, and then the video continues. Which I love because then that, the that identifies that user. Yes. Um, um, and then you've got annotation links, which are things, you know, that pop up, you know, in the corner at certain time spots, which is basically like a little element that you can click. The video keeps, but it doesn't yeah. interrupt the video. The video keeps going. So if you look at those three, I think it's just worth looking at email collection forms actually having the highest conversion rate, that mm-hmm. 10.32% conversion rate. Again, if we go by this content average of 2.9% conversion rate, yeah, putting an email collection form at any point in your video is still going to be four to five times as um, likely to convert than all other content marketing. Uh, Call to action comes in a little bit lower, 8.76%. And I think, think, you know, what's interesting about the email collection form and a call to action is that those are the two where the video isn't continuing Mm -hmm. to go on because there's a huge drop-off with those annotation links. Yeah. And to 1.8%. And the thing that I always think of with those annotation links is the stuff that we've seen for years on YouTube. Mm Mm-hmm. And that little thing pops up in the top right corner. Watch related video. And we've just learned to ignore it. Yeah. And we've kind of processed out any kind of little uh, distraction that's happening in one of the corners of the frames. And I think that's why you see, you know, 1.8% conversion rate as opposed to 8.76 or 10.32. Yeah. But still, on average, I mean, we're talking about a 12% conversion rate, um, which is still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, your turn. What do you got? Uh, I've wrapped up 
my thoughts. Oh, you're the right. The rest of the pages are their final thoughts, which perhaps we could just kind of highlight. Um, again, not very, not necessarily actionable information, but information nonetheless. Video will continue to be an essential tool for business. I agree. Yep. <laughs> uh, marketers will double down on live virtual events. I have definitely seen that. Yes, we are involved in some. Um, just a lot of the content that Content Marketing Institute, Marketing Profs, and whatever uh, is just about. And we talked about it in our predictions for this year too. Mm. It's it's going to be <clears throat> you're going to see some live in person elements to it, but mm, yeah, I don't hybrid think we're ever going to go back to everybody goes to Vegas mm-hmm. and shows up in person and there's a recap video done uh, two weeks later. I think you will for like NAB and stuff, but maybe not for user conferences. You know, like for this particular software, I don't think you're going to see that. People are going to yeah, I, but but I think even with NAB, they've got so much, so many panels and and keynotes mm-hmm. and breakout rooms that doesn't get the attention that don't get the attention that all of the fancy new you know yeah. booths get. Um, that they're probably going to be doing all of that stuff as yeah as hybrid. Yep, true. Uh, and lastly, the barrier to entry for video creation will continue to drop. I don't know how the barrier could get any lower, to be honest. Thinking. Because, I mean, anybody, ev- everybody has a phone. Yep. And those phone cameras are really great. You can get a decent mic for 100 bucks. I mean, you don't even, I mean, yeah, if you wanted to. And but, like, you could create a YouTube account. And well, yeah, I mean, I guess a phone isn't free, but a phone's something we all already have. Mm-hmm. With a phone and a YouTube account, you've spent nothing additional, and you've got what you need to start, start creating video. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that the that the barrier could get any lower. I think as tech technology in this space continues to grow, some of these features that things like Wistia and Vidyard have will become more accessible. Um, I it's, bet YouTube will start to adopt some of this technology. I'm sure they're already working on it. It's worth noting too, and I, and I give them credit for this too, because I feel like I always need to add this. However, creating quality content will remain important for businesses that want to stand out against the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier than ever to start experimenting with video, but companies should do so while still prioritizing creativity and quality. I can't argue with that. Yeah. Especially as you see the number of videos on the rise um, and people's attention span seemingly disappearing, uh, you've got to make that impact. Um, I, You know, one thing we probably should have, maybe the biggest difference between the Wistia report and the Vidyard report that we probably should have mentioned up front is that Wistia's is portrait and Vidyard's was landscape. Yeah, we did not bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, so what that's, sort of takeaway or, or insights do you have on on something like that? I mean, video is a landscape tool yeah. for the most part, unless you're talking TikTok or yeah, you know, user generated stuff. Yeah, I don't know that I want to overthink it. <laughs> it is what it is, man. Uh, it is what it is. All right, well, let's um, before we wrap up here, let's hear from our sponsor, Shebang Sauce, again. We'll do perhaps uh, an abbreviated version uh, of the ad. Yeah. Um. We'll just kind of get to the point. Um, people are sick of bottles and stuff in their fridge and all these 
Packets, uh, world famous saucier, Kirk Lazarus felt the same pain and torment that we were all reflecting on, uh, except he did something about it. Chef Lazarus spent nearly all of lockdown perfecting his sauce that he calls shebang sauce. Uh, the proportions are proprietary, but there are at least 30 or 40 or more of your favorite sauces Give me five that have been combined. Uh, Alfredo. Okay. Hollandaise. Yum. Lingonberry. Mole. Okay. And carbonara. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, you know, five of the, my least favorite on the list. Yep. Plus 25 others, including Worcestershire. Yep. Worcestershire. Uh, now available in 3,000-ounce barrels. Is um, that one 3,000-ounce barrel or three 1,000-ounce barrels oh, or 3,001-ounce barrels? It is a one 3,000-ounce barrel for, okay. for sale. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And all the legal jargon you right. guys can look for yourself on the product packaging. Uh, but yeah, get after that. Well, there you go. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Video Reformation Podcast. Uh, yeah, what do we do here? <laughs> we kind of we kind of just blew past the, you know, like, subscribe, leave a right. rating, share with your friends, uh, download again on your other device. So this is what I would consider a long form piece of content. Yeah. By burying that call to action at the end, mm -hmm. are we limiting our ability? We know that we're only going to get positive reviews because because the, the only people who who made who it all the way through. Make it this far are going yes. raving okay, fans. Okay, there you go.